Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. I'll tell you what, man. When you see all of that, you have to realize that uh, the only solution for that is either these people repent and get saved or they're gonna head for the tribulation and be judged for what they're doing. This is lunacy what these people are doing. That's absolutely out of their minds. Uh, I, I, not only is it evil, but I think they have went mentally ill because of the evil to propose such crazy things that you're seeing. And um, I guess th- that brings us to what we wanna talk about. And, and I'm gonna mix in some of the things that you saw today into the presentation, obviously. Um, and this is a, 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 a weird situation in Abraham's life that you're gonna look at um, to where he repeats a, a, a sinful pattern again out of fear and out of self-preservation for how evil the world is. And this is, this is something that we all need to think about. The world's getting you know, out of control, obviously. It's just off the chart. It's off the chain. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It's demonic. And um, one of the things that we're going to have to be able to do in order to cope with the environment that we're in is not be able, is not go to our default mode in handling fear. Uh, like you saw, it, the, the thing said 70% of Christians say they're afraid. Well, fear is not an attribute that comes from God to us, and, and nor is it good for us to be in that kind of state. But due, deal, doing, uh, uh, due to the environment around people, and people not being equipped spiritually to handle it, you can see why they would become afraid. They'd become afraid for them, themselves and their family and the things that are going on. I mean, think about it. They denied a cancer treatment because someone went against the transgender movement. Who does that? Who does that? You, what, so you can see how that would evoke fear in people. Like, my goodness, I can't even get health care because I, I, I'm going to oppose this crazy notion of transgenderism. And you can see where the fear is being uh, fostered through all of this. So you and I need to learn from this lesson of Abraham what not to do and what to do. And, and it's, it's a, what you're going to see with Abraham, he's the father of faith, there's no doubt about it, but he struggles in it just like you and I do. And one of the things he does is he continues to repeat a habitual pattern of how to handle fear in an ungodly way. That's the problem. And and I, you know, you can almost be sympathetic to what he's trying to, what's happening to him, because he's a sojourner now. He doesn't have a permanent place to live, and he, God's moving him and has moved him to the the land of Canaan, and which is the promised land. And a lot of enemies are out there, obviously. And um, him and his wife have developed a modus of operandi of how they're going to manage the evil in their life with a sin. And, and the sin is this, that wherever we go, you tell them you're my sister and not my wife because they will try to kill me, okay? Now, that wasn't unfounded uh, in the ancient world because this is weird, and I think I've mentioned this before, is that in the ancient world, like committing adultery was like the number one thing. So in order to avoid adultery, 
they would just kill the husband and take the wife to avoid adultery. So they would rather murder than commit adultery, if that makes sense. It's just, it was weird. So like, it was the highest thing that you, you couldn't do. And so they would do a lot of, uh, you know, killing of husbands. And so Abraham is a part of this, this milieu in which um, people would just kill you for your wife as not to commit adultery. And, and so he, I get it. He's under this auspice, and now he's a sojourner, and that's how the ancient world worked. And so in order to combat that, him and his wife have concocted a scheme. Really, it's Abraham leading this and saying, every time we go somewhere, you tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. And obviously, that's not an appropriate way to handle the situation because in doing so, he's lying, right? He's lying, and it's a deception. And we've already studied that he did this one time with Pharaoh, and he made a huge mistake, and it caused a lot of problems for himself. He brought back Hagar, and we talked about the Hagar scene of having Ishmael and the whole thing that developed from that and the, fight, the infighting between Sarah and Hagar, and that caused a problem. But Abraham's still rolling. He's still doing the same thing again. And, and I think that's the thing that we have to take away is the way the world's becoming, you have to manage life the way Christ wants you to manage it, not the way you think you should be able to manage it, not your old ways, not your default ways of handling what's going on. And a lot of people are still doing that, doing that. And they're like, well, the ends justify the means. I have to do this. I have to lie in order to do this, yada, yada, yada. And uh, like we, 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 we had people forging vaccination cards and stuff like that in order to keep their job. Well, you're not going to win on that. Um, or forging vaccinations uh, uh, that, so they could go, their kids could go to college or whatever. And it's like, dude, I can tell you this. That ain't going to work. In the long run, you're going to get burned by that just like Abraham did. So that's what we're going to study. And um, let me tell you this. Dealing with the world we're dealing with, it's going to be hard to do the right thing, okay? It's going to cost you. And, and so you have to continue to resist defaulting into sin in order to manage life. And so we're going to dive into that. So it's a big deal. Uh, and I think it's very apropos for what we're looking at. We're going to be in Genesis 19. And uh, let's start in there. Uh, verse one, uh, uh, it says, Abraham journeyed from there uh, to the south and dwelt between Kadesh, Barnea, basically, and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. And you're like, well, you look at this passage and you don't think anything about it. Well, you should think about it. So you see on the map where Hevron is, uh, that's where Abraham was by the trees of Mamre and the oak trees, and that's where he had settled. Now we have another situation where Moses is introducing you that, that he now moves again and, and what is missing, again, from this text is there's no command of God to leave, okay? So he just leaves. And again, this is coming on the heels of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can, you know, theorize many reasons why he would want to leave. Maybe he doesn't want to smell the sulfur that just happened all over the place. I don't know. Maybe he wants to get away from that area. I don't know. But here's the key. No matter what's going on on the ground, whatever his motivations are to leave, he was never told of God to leave. 
And therein lies what's missing in the text is, and the Lord said, go here. So that's missing. So that's a clue that he is operating now on his own will. He's doing things according to what he did before. And I can tell you this. When this sin was first saw in the scriptures, he moved because of fear. There was a fear of a famine. So I don't know if he's afraid. I don't know whatever it is, but he's doing something that is not the will of God. He's moving out of the area. And, and, and you, I can guarantee you this. Anytime you and I move without any direction from the Lord, you're going to move into a bad area that's going to put pressure on you to make a default decision of how to manage life because of the mess you get in. That's how it works. And so that's why people say, well, Brandon, what should I do? I tell them, go with what he told you last. What was the last lead that he told you to do? And stay with that. And I'm gonna tell you what, you're gonna go years sometimes without him telling you any other lead. And so... When you have the silence of God, that means you're to do what he last told you to do and stay there until he gives you a new lead. And people get anxious, they get impatient, and they start going ahead of God, and that's what gets them in trouble. So there's the trouble right here. Now, where he is moving, he's moving in where the Philistines area uh, is, in the Gaza area. Gaza has always been a problem for Israel. It's a problem today. So there's something, I don't know if it's a demonic stronghold or something, but that area always seems to be a problem. Again, uh, we see this all the way into David's day and to this day as well. So let me tell you where we're at also. This is also within the time frame in which the Lord told Abraham that Sarah, Sarah is going to have a child miraculously by the Lord, right? That she, She's of old age and she's going to have a child at 90 years old. Okay, so you're in the year frame. Here's the thing we don't know. We don't know if she's pregnant right now, because if she is, she's not showing, and, uh, or she's, she's a, you know, going to get pregnant in that time frame. So we don't know. We don't know if she's not pregnant or pregnant, but we're definitely within the year when the Lord said to them, I'll be back the same time next year, and you're going to have a son. Okay, so we're in that, that, that 12-month period. And so... Um, what ends up happening? As he moves into the area, again, same problem happens because of the, the landscape. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Again, what Moses is trying to say is this is how he's rolling. This is his modus of operandi. He is now defaulting, not into what God would do, but how he manages life. Let me tell you how, what, how people manage life the ungodly way. They can't hardly take the fear and the stress and the anxiety that life brings because their spiritual life is not where it needs to be. And so they don't know how to turn to God to get that relieved, to, to have the biblical coping mechanisms with all the junk that's going on in life. So what do they do? They turn towards things that help them manage life. Drugs, over-the-counter prescriptions, whatever, okay, pain pills, uh, uh, you know, whatever, they turn to alcohol, okay? They start becoming a drinker. Again, I'm not saying the Bible forbids drinking, but it forbids an excess 
And if you're coping with life through it, that's becoming a problem, whether it's drugs or alcohol. The other big issue is pornography. Men start going to pornography in order to cope with life. People think, well, you're, my, my husband's just a pervert. No, your husband's looking for an escape from the stress and the anxiety of life and, and, and trying to find a way of escape. Pornography becomes that, and it's very, addiction, very addicting. And then you just continue to find different other things of coping mechanisms that are unbiblical. This is Abraham's coping mechanism. This is, you're watching his default, and his default is to lie about the situation for self-preservation. That's what all coping mechanisms are about that are unbiblical. The person thinks that this will help them survive. This will help them manage life in the stress, in the anxiety, and, and whatever's going on in life. And it gets them in trouble. It gets them in big trouble. And that's what happens here. So here, let me give you a principle before we go on. Typically, this kind of fear comes from an excessive focus on self-preservation. Okay? That's what this is about. So you, you watch the COVID shutdowns, the lockdowns. Why did people follow the government and do everything the government told them to do? For self-preservation whether that had to do with their health or that had to do with their, their way of making a living. It was all self-preservation driven for most people, okay? So anyway, but what happens is because of this un, uh, excessive obsession with self-preservation, they start fearing something in the future that, that they think will happen to them, okay? they think will happen to them in the future. It's not a reality right now. It's a reality to have fear when someone breaks in your house and is going to rob and kill you. That's real fear and that's appropriate fear because it's in the presence and it's real. It is inappropriate to fear something that hasn't happened. It is inappropriate to fear something that's in your mind of what you think is going to happen. That's inappropriate and that's where Worry comes in, and worry is a sin because you're worrying about something you don't even know it's going to happen, but you think will. So it's a perceived future that's going to cause you harm, right? And then that you have never been, and you've never experienced it, or maybe you did in the past, but it's not a present reality. So this is how the devil works on our minds. He is making people afraid of things that don't exist. That's the problem. So in Abraham's mind, everywhere he goes, he thinks they're going to try to kill him. That is a misperception of reality. And you can see in his misperception of reality why he would default into sin because he, in his own mind, has no other solution to deal with this self-perception that he's created. So in, a, in, a, in essence, Abraham has put himself into an unreality. That's how dangerous this is, okay? Um, I like what Mark Twain said. He says, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. He's right, you know? And it's true when you think about it. Think about all the things you worried about that it, it never came. I was always worried about how am I gonna pay for my kids, man? Because kids are expensive, and now that they're in college and they're older, they're way more expensive. Have you noticed that? When they were little kids, it was no big deal. How much is that going to cost? Oh, my goodness. It's like thousands of dollars, college and books and all that junk. And you're like, 
oh my goodness, how do people raise kids in this environment? But somehow it happens, and somehow the Lord provides, and uh, he gets you through it, which I've learned, but a lot of my fears early on when I was raising kids uh, about not having enough money to support them and be able to go to college and all that stuff, um, he's already answered that, but he answered it in ways that I didn't expect. So a lot of the things I worried about for them, it never happened. It never happened. Anyway, let's continue on. When the person um, is driven by the emotion of fear, okay, and this is important for us in the current climate that we're in, the person then loses the ability to reason, okay? This is the problem, because fear is an emotion, and it stops all thinking, so if someone gets into a state of fear and they're worried about the future, they're worried about something that might happen, what ends up happening is their, their reasoning faculties actually stop. And then what happens is they get into what we call a spiritual stupor. Because they, when you lose the ability to reason, you can't hear any other perspective. You can't, it doesn't even matter if someone gives you facts and evidence, you will not be able to process that. That's actually scary, but that's actually what happened to the culture, and that's what's happening right now to the culture. An excessive, obsessive fear is giving the culture the inability to reason so that when you present facts and evidence to them, they won't process it. I mean, you can't go any further than what's going on with the mask. You can't go any further what's going on with the, the vaccines and all that other stuff. People lost the ability to, to, to reason it didn't matter if you showed them the vares. It didn't matter. Did you notice that? It didn't matter. Well, that's not the only thing that's coming. There's more coming. And people out of fear will lose the ability to reason. Okay, how do you drive it out? Well, first of all, it's the word of God that has to drive it out. But in two particular areas, when you, when you, you suffer from fear about things that don't exist, your problem is you lack the, 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 the trust in God's provision and protection. That's Abraham's problem. Those are the two uh, weaknesses of Abraham if you study his life. His provision and protection. Now, at the end of Abraham's life, he will learn about provision finally. Okay, He will finally admit it, that it's the Lord who provides. But right now, he struggles with it, just like we all do. We struggle with the concept of God's protection and provision. And so because of our lack of faith in those two issues, then we try to protect ourselves and we try to make our own provision. That's how it works. And when a threat is, a perceived threat is threatening that, then we tend to default into a sinful way of handling that. Now, here's the thing. We have to use the word in those two areas to drive that out of our lives so we can trust God. The more, you, the more you put that truth in you, the more it drives out fear, okay? So faith will drive out your fear. That's how it works. Faith drives out the fear. The more faith you have in God's provision and protection, the fear dissipates, okay? If left uncorrected, okay, the person will start developing habitual vices, in their life in order to manage and cope with the fear. And the habitual device that Abraham is doing is lying. He lies to manage life, okay? 
But other people will choose other vices, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, you know, the whole thing. But here's what happens. You don't get to stay in the habitual devices that you create to manage life. The habitual devices, because they are sin, actually start making you go mentally ill. Now, I'm not talking about certifiably, like we're gonna put you away and lock, lock, lock you up or anything. We're talking about you start developing things in your life such as anxiety, stress, depression, despair, an inability to process emotions, impulsive behaviors, increased inflammation in your body, okay? Risk of substance abuse disorders start happening to your physical body. The body is going to do and react off what the soul is doing inside you, okay? So whatever disposition your soul is in, it will then affect your body. This is why we're starting to see in the society high, high levels of anxiety, stress disorders, and high levels of depression, okay? And I, don't, I, 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 I understand that you've told the whole generation that, that there, there is no God, there's no meaning in life, and, and, and of course, that would cause anyone depression if you knew that, right? Um, but... That's why we're seeing that a high level of mental illness in the Western society. This is a result of not thinking correctly, a result of fear. Uh, and, and what do they keep doing to keep people in check? They keep giving them things about fear, uh, crises that they keep making up and manufacturing and stuff like that. So if you notice yourself that, you know what, I, I, you know what, I, I can't, I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm having trouble with depression. I'm having trouble with my emotions. I can't regulate my emotions. I'm on edge. I, 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 I'm ticked off all the time or whatever. Um, be careful because you need to tr go back and say, well, how are you managing your fear? What are you afraid of? You, that's a question you have to ask yourself. What am I afraid of? Okay, Abraham is, I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid they're gonna kill me. Okay. Maybe not anyone in this room is worried about that, but again, it's still driven by fear. You have to identify what's making you afraid and then combat that with the word of God. Now, one more thing before we go back into the story. If again, if it's uncorrected about this fear, the person will actually turn inward on themselves. They will start morbidly obsessing uh, inwardly concerning what happened to them, how bad their life is, their hurts from their past, their traumas from their past, their failures. Uh, and, and look, even as a counselor, you know, when I'm counseling somebody, you have to go back into their past and you have to process what happened to them with truth, okay? That's how you get the person out of the trauma, out of the pain, you process it with truth, okay? But not, there, here's what happens. In this situation, the person is not processing what happened to them with truth. So all they do is focus on what happened to them and how bad their life is and all the missteps that they made or what other people did to them. And they get this obsessive, pessimistic, inward focus and that puts them out of reality. 
because then they get ticked off at God, they get ticked off at other people, and they start isolating, and it, it, they, go, they go inward. And when you go inward, you can't focus in on God. See, your eyes are supposed to be on Jesus. You're focusing on the good. God is good. You focus on him, okay? And the way you look at your trauma and your pain and your past and all the junk that's happened to you is you are to process it with truth and see the goodness that God brought out of that. But if you can't do that and all you're looking at is your life and how, a how much of a tragedy it is, you're gonna put yourself out of reality. You're gonna develop mental illness of depression, chronic illness. I know people that I have known them for years and there is not a day where they're not sick. There's not a day where a certain part of their body is not inflamed because the body is reacting to the mental state in which they're at and they're nothing but pessimistic and they become critical and they're, they're, they die early in life. They die early. This is how, how far this can go. And I wanna show that to you to show you how serious it is to not correct this in your life. Let's continue on. So what happens? And Abimelech, he's the king in this area of Gerar, near the Gaza Strip, sent and took Sarah. So again, the worst fear happens, and the pattern again happens to Abraham. Someone takes his wife, and he's playing this game. Oh, she's my sister. And they say, all right, well, then if she's your sister, she's going to be brought into my harem. And that's exactly what Abimelech did, and that's what Pharaoh did. Abimelech is not his name. Abimelech is like using the word Pharaoh. Abimelech in, in Hebrew is Melech, means king. Uh, Abba is father. So it's Abba Melech, uh, the king is my father. So it, it, we don't know his name. That's just his title. But we'll just call him Abimelech for, for uh, ease of, of, of what we're trying to talk about. But understand this. The reason this is happening, number one, is because Abraham moves himself without God telling him. But do you not realize that Satan knows exactly what has been told to Abraham? That his child, the miraculous child, is the one who will carry the Abrahamic covenant. And through that child, and then his offspring will be the Jews, who will then eventually bring the Messiah, who will eventually bring the Messianic kingdom. So everything's riding on this birth. Okay, so Satan is going to give satanic opposition. So these things are not happening out of accident that Abimelech would take Sarah in the year in which she's going to have a child miraculously by God. So there's a lot of satanic influence on this. Now, let me bring it to your court. If you're living for Christ and you're doing it like you're supposed to do it, you're, you're, you're sold out. You're going to get satanic opposition in anything that God wants you to do. Now here, let me give you a caveat. God will lead you to do certain things in your life. If it's too easy, then it may not be from God. If God leads you, you should expect satanic opposition for what he calls you to do. And if you're not getting any satanic opposition in what he's called you to do, I think that's a red flag and you better pay attention to that because now you're on the Jonah track 
And Jonah, when he wanted to run from God and run from his call, it, it, Satan made it very easy for Jonah. He had enough money in his pocket to pay the fare, to get on a ship going in the opposite direction. He had the ship. There was no Hebrews. It was all Gentile people that would no, bring no conviction on him. And then he, he got so far away from Israel and his job that he actually fell asleep. Be careful about the ease of you thinking that God's leading you and it's too easy. If it's too easy, I would stop yourself right in your tracks and reevaluate. Because every time God wants you to do something, it's hard. Think about this. We're moving into our building in two weeks. It has taken 12 years to the day when we move in. Okay, 12 years. Now, what is that? It is a road less traveled. It is a hard road. And now we're getting in there, but it wasn't easy. It was the will of God. But think about this. We were delayed an entire year. And I was talking to the superintendent last week, and he says, Brandon, I've seen things I have never seen before in this building. Of just things that, that, that just doesn't happen. And I said, it's satanic, it's demonic. I mean, the guy, I mean, think about this. The guy told me he caught on camera four orbs hanging around on the west side of the building. He caught them in the morning and he caught them in the evening one time. And he said, I, Brandon, there's, there's stuff going on at this building I have never seen. I said, I know what it is, it's demonic opposition. That's why things don't work. That's why this doesn't work. That's why that doesn't work. And it's basically the, the, the demonic forces delayed us for almost an entire year. But we're going to move in. But at the end of the day, what am I giving that to you? If you actually knew all the stuff that we had to go through this last year to get in that building, you would freak out. You would absolutely freak out. It, it wasn't easy. It was the hardest thing we could possibly do is to get into that building. Why? Because of satanic opposition. If you're not getting a pushback from Satan, you're probably not doing the will of God. If he's not bothering you, then you're not making an impact. You're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. That's why when you go talk to a Laodicean believer and you talk to them, to them about spiritual warfare, they don't have a clue what you're talking about because they don't know what it's like to be on the tip of the spear. They don't know what it's like to be on the edge. They have no idea. And so their life is hunky-dory because Satan is leaving them alone. That's why your life is harder. Your life is harder because you're serving and obeying and doing the right thing. So expect that. So this is why it's, it, 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 there's the satanic opposition with Abraham. Okay, so God's gonna intervene because the will of God will triumph over Satan's opposition. So you have satanic opposition, but look how God intervenes. But God came to Abimelech in the dream by a night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So he didn't know this, okay? So God is warning him, hey, dude, if you, could, if you proceed and have sex with her, you're dead, okay? Now, why, why is this? Why is God being so harsh? Because the guy's, the guy's, he doesn't know. Well, it's because of the Abrahamic covenant. That's why. Now, the, in verse 17, just to give you a preview, what was actually happening? What, what, the minute Abimelech took Sarah, the Abrahamic cursing went into effect. 
and the cursing affected his whole family and, and everybody. Look at verse 17. So Abraham prayed to God. This is the after effect. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. So you can see all the effect that happened of going against the Abrahamic covenant. Then they bore children. So basically, God closed up their wombs. And, and for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Not only did he close up all the wombs, something in the plague affected the males too to where no male and no female could have sex. That's the implication. And actually, that plague was an act of grace so Abimelech would not have sex with Sarah and then cause a problem of whose child is this? Is this Abraham's or is this Abimelech's child? As you can see, the satanic opposition trying to confuse the, the child of promise. So it's a big deal. So the, the minute he did that, the Abrahamic covenant went into effect and cursed the, the family because of that. And that's what we have to understand. This is still in effect, the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. This is why it's important in your life to be pro-Israel. Not pro-Israeli government, not pro-Knesset, but pro-Jew, pro they have the right to the land, that the land shouldn't be divided, that we should do everything we can to support the Jewish people and their homeland and, 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 and whatnot. That's part of being a Christian Zionist. Because why are we Christian Zionists? Because of this, this is in effect. If you want the blessing of God, bless Israel, bless the Jewish people. If you want to get cursed, then do what the rest of Christendom does and becomes anti-Semitic, replacement theology, the whole thing, and watch yourself get cursed because it's still in effect. It will affect you. I think one of the blessings of why God continues to bless us is because we bless Israel. We're very supportive of Israel, as you know. And so we get an extra blessing that other churches don't get that don't even talk about Israel or not even, this is not even on the radar because they have replacement theology. So you're, 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 we're under that blessing. Anyway, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Well, no, he won't, because he already had that conversation with Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she even herself said, he is my brother? So they both lied. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. So he's right. He doesn't know. He has no clue. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withhold you from sinning against me. How did we hold him? Somehow the plague prevented him from having sex with her. That's what God did as an act of grace to make sure that didn't happen, okay? Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, uh, for he is a prophet, and he will pay you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all, uh, all who are yours. So please do what I'm asking you to do, return her, and the Abrahamic covenant will bless you rather than curse you. That's how it works, okay? It's a God's foreign policy with Gentiles. Okay, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in the hearing, and the men were very much afraid, as I would be too. Okay, now, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, now, now Abraham is gonna get what he deserves. He's going to get reprimanded by a Gentile pagan, 
okay? This is the, probably the most embarrassing thing that any believer can undergo, is that when an unbeliever, sorry, a, a believer acts out of the will of God, God will then finally use a pagan to rebuke them. And that's kind of not a good thing, okay? God did this with Israel when he rebuked them for not saying that the Messiah was a spotless lamb, and he rebuked them with a Gentile. Remember who that Gentile was who said he was innocent three times? Pilate. It is the most embarrassing thing in Scripture is when a pagan rebukes you. And Pilate rebuked the nation of Israel because he says, I find no fault in the man. So God, again, you can see the principle where a pagan rebukes a believer. Anyway, what, ha what have you done to us? Good question. Have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you would have done this thing? What were you thinking? That's what he's saying, and good for him. Abraham needs to be dressed down because of this. Now, here's what comes out, the excuses, okay? So Abraham's actually gonna give four excuses. Now, this is where I'm going to dovetail into current events, okay? So I want you to see the excuses. Number one, Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. Now, what is this? This is called a false assumption, okay? The assumption that Abraham's working on is what we call a black and white thinking. Be careful with believers that have black and white thinking. They're very difficult to deal with. There's no gray areas for them. Okay, in black and white thinking, what the person will do is blanket everything with one principle. All men are pigs, okay? They'll do that. All women are witches, okay? And what they do is, it's a, that's a black and white world, and the, the reason they do black and white is because it's easier to deal with in a black and white. All this is wrong. All, you know, you look what Black Lives Matter does. All, all cops are bad, right? They'll do a blanket, right? That's called black and white thinking. Black and white thinking prevents you from seeing the exceptions in life. No, there are good men, and there are good women. You know, that, that's the exceptions. So false assumption, what is Abraham's false assumption? Everywhere I go, they're gonna kill me for my wife. That's a false assumption. And he said it because, well, I didn't know there was piety here. I didn't know you guys were God-fearers. Wait a second. There's still people that are halfway decent, Abraham. You're not thinking straight because you're doing it black and white. Black and white thinking is very difficult. Black and white Christians gravitate to Calvinism and Arminianism, okay? Because it's very easy to deal with people black and white terms. So I'll give you an example. A Calvinist, when someone gets into sin and a protracted period of season of sin, they'll say, well, that person is evidencing that they're not saved. No, it's not. That's evidencing there's a lack of discipleship. Or the Arminian will say, well, they got into a protracted period of sin and, and they've lost their salvation. No, they're not. That's what we call, we, we believe in eternal security. See, the Arminian and the Calvinist doesn't want to deal with the gray area that a Christian can be born again and struggle with sin. So their conclusion in a black and white world is you were never saved to begin with or you lost salvation. 
which you can't lose salvation. And works don't prove you're saved. Works prove your discipleship, not your salvation. But see, to go into that frame of reference, you have to leave the black and white world and never go back to it. And therefore, you have to deal with Christians struggling with their sin, and they don't want to do that because that's too difficult. So here's the thing. Here's the false assumption. You want to see a, a false exum- assumptions in society? Here's the false assumption. Children know what is best for them. I know that sounds crazy, right? And everybody in this room say, yeah, Brandon, that's crazy. I just sat at a board meeting at the Kern County Superintendent's on Tuesday night where half the room doesn't believe that. Half the room believes that children know best for them. And they sat there with their blue hair and their green hair and their mask-wearing virtue signaling and believed the false assumption. They also believe that disclosing information to parents will lead to suicide and persecution of children coming out as LGBT. Both are which false assumptions. Not true. But I sat there. Here's the meeting I went to. Oops, play, play, play. The possibility of implementing a controversial student gender identification policy led the Kern County Board of Education meeting to last almost five hours yesterday. Eyewitness News reporter Leslie Valle has more details on what was said last night. Leslie. Yes, Michael, the room was split with those who were for and against the policy. Angry parents, students, and even staff members can be heard yelling at each other and at board members. You, sir, are a disgrace, and you should be ashamed of yourself. How are we supposed to catch predators when we're giving them different sexes? Emotions were high on Tuesday as the Kern County Board of Education held their latest meeting, and within the first 20 minutes, the public was asked to leave. We need to clear the room. It came after the discussion of the possibility that Kern County schools would be the next to adopt a policy that requires teachers and staff to tell parents if their child decides to change their gender identity from the one assigned to them at birth. The policy is similar to the one in the Chino Valley Unified School District that passed in mid-July. Here in Kern County, when the public was let back inside, many were supportive of the proposal and others weren't. Meshing the two together through policies like this will bring harm to hundreds of students. Policy like this, excuse me, I I think that, again, there's no research that supports your decision to keep secrets from uh, parents. After nearly five hours, board members left with no definitive answers. There is concern in this community for both sides of this story, and it's not up to us to determine what it is. The law says we cannot contact parents. And that's doesn't the law. That. It doesn't say that. So we're dealing with board members that think that the law state, well, the law, they're reiterating the law that says the, the teachers and the administration don't have to tell the parents. Hey, I'm going to tell you what, man. If, that, that, if, if they won't reverse that, I, I told them at that meeting, I said, all the Christians in this community are going to pull their kids out of private school and they're going to, uh, sorry, public school and go to private school or homeschool because we're not going to put up with you not telling the parents what's going on with their children. But again, it's a false assumption. We, let me ask you this. When did it become debatable, parental rights? When did that become debatable? Oh, it was when the LGBT agenda infiltrated the school systems. We're going to keep, we're going to tell, not tell mom and dad if their child says, now I want to change my gender. 
that's insane. I'm sorry, I can't put my kid in that kind of environment. That's ridiculous. Now, by the way, here's the false assumption. The false assumption, and I heard it on, I heard it on um, Tuesday night from the virtue mask wearing people with the blue hair, okay? This is what they said. They said, if you, if you tell the parents that their kid is coming out of the closet, you're gonna cause suicide. You're gonna cause death. You're gonna cause persecution of these children, which is a bogus argument. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, uh, you're gonna create a suicide in the person. This is, this is harmful to children. By the way, they're lying. It's, a, it's wrong. It's a lie and it's a false assumption that that happens. Are there extreme cases? Probably, but overall, it's not. Here's the data. The data I pulled from the Swedish study is the most comprehensive study ever done on transgenderism, okay? It's out of Sweden, okay? Um, and here it is. I pulled it off the internet. Anyone can read it. I don't know why anyone doesn't because it's all there, okay? It studied uh, 300 and I think 24 different uh, transgenders and followed up on what happened to them. Understand this. 10 to 15 years after surgical reassignment, the suicide rate of those who had undergone sex reassignment surgery rose to 19.1 comparable to the rest of the population. Do you under a 19% increase of suicide if you have the transgender surgery? That's what they don't want to deal with. That's the reality. That's the facts. But no, oh no, we got to keep this policy because people will commit suicide. If you change them, so to speak, by cutting body parts off, you increase their risk of suicide 20%. There's the facts. They don't want to talk about facts because remember, when you go out of reality, facts and evidence don't matter to you. And of course, we're not grooming your killed children, they say. We just want to provide an environment for your kids to come out. We're not grooming, but yet LA Public School District promotes Rainbow Club for LGBT elementary students and their friends. And if you're, and if you're not quite sure, little Johnny, we'll let you watch this video where two guys fall in love at the school grounds. Okay, they are grooming. Austin, Texas School District encourages children and families to wear pride costumes and attend LGBT pride parades. Don't tell me they're not grooming. Don't tell me that at a board meeting that you're not grooming, because you are. Or how about the, the company's grooming? This is Skittles' latest package. You can read their Black Trans Lives Matter, Joy is Resistance, you got transgender people on there and all kinds of weird stuff going on there. And this is Skittles. Don't tell me you're not grooming children. You're, you're using the candy to go after them. Oh, here's a false assumption. I guess the Brits are out on this one. One in three Britons do not know transgender women are biological males. What? Did they take a dumb pill? How, how did you not know that? False assumptions. You see how false assumptions work in our, our society? How about this one? False assumption. PCA, uh, uh, Presbyterian USA, pastor sermon slams pro-lifers, rejoices in her two abortions. I felt no guilt, no shame, no sin. Now, what's the false assumption? The false assumption is that God approves of killing babies. That's the false assumption. And yet we have 
this going on in Christendom. Here's another false assumption. This is interesting. If you've ever been following Jordan Peterson, I think that guy's either getting close to saved or he is saved. If you've been following Jordan Peterson, it's pretty amazing what I've seen a transformation happen in this guy coming from a secular world to now it appears that he's getting close to being a Christian. Anyway, his daughter is being influenced by that and she's becoming a Christian. I don't know where she's at on that, um, but she's starting to go to church now. But here's the false assumption. This poor gal thinks that all churches are the same. Okay, they, She thinks that all churches are good. So she ends up going to Mark Driscoll's church, who's, a, who's the most unqualified guy on the planet. He's a charlatan. So again, the, what's the false assumption? Well, Brandon, any, every church is good. No, they're not. No, they're not at all. And, and, and so, again, false assumptions, right? Here's a false assumption. I don't know if you heard this. False assumption is that this is going to help the middle class, okay? That's, that's you and I. UPS, through their unions, the Teamsters, which is a devilish union organization, has negotiated with UPS to pay now their drivers $170,000 on average, full-time. And that's supposed to help the middle class. Now, here's the, that's a false assumption. You tell me how that's supposed to help you. What will that do to you in the middle class? Your shipping rates are going to skyrocket in order to pay a UPS driver $170,000. That's why you're going to see them wearing the bling, okay? This is a UPS driver arriving to work because of $170,000. This is the UPS driver, him and her, both UPS drivers, budget for their house hunter, $3.7 million. UPS updates driver uniforms to include a top hat and a monocule now because they're making so much money. And oh, by the way, this is what happens when she finds out you, you work for UPS and make $170,000. Is that insane? What do we see in here? False assumptions, right? Excuse number two. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. What is this? Well, he's saying that, well, she's, she, yeah, I, I didn't disclose to you that she is my half-sister and my wife. But it, it was all deception. And what was this? It's a self-serving rationalization for bad behavior. That's what people do. They, they rationalize. This is how you sleep at night. You have to rationalize bad behavior, right? It's like my kid comes to me and says, I failed because my teacher hates me. Have you heard that one? It's always that, my teacher hates me. And maybe in some cases they do because you might have a blue-haired uh, LGBT, uh, you know, whatever, teacher. And I get that one, but you know, they always blame the teacher for their lack of doing well. But let's look at some self-serving rationalizations. Here's a self-serving rationalization. This is insane of how crazy our community is. Subway announces that nearly 10,000 individuals decided to change their name to Subway in order to receive free sandwiches for the rest of their life. They went in and legally changed their name to Subway to get the sandwiches. And about 10,000 people did this. 
Now, if that ain't the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but this is called rationalization to get something. And the rationalization is I'm going to change my, my legal name to Subway so I can get free sandwiches for the rest of my life. Who does that? How about this? The rationalization. Uh, Biden administration, Iran, uh, give them a, a $6 billion largest hostage ransom payment in U.S. history. Why are we giving money to, to them? Oh, yeah, we're, we're getting our, uh, some, some captives out of there. I think there was five people in there that Iran was holding hostage. No, this, this, this is to garner a Iran nuclear deal. Understand, that's what this is about. This is not about getting hostages out. But again, self-rationalization for bad behavior. We don't do deals with terrorists. Or how about this one? Lahaina goes up in flames, as you saw, in Maui. And uh, it was caused by a hurricane. The winds, uh, the 50-mile-an-hour, 60-mile-an-hour winds uh, start, start, uh, started the, you know, uh, and the, I, I think it was a, uh, what is it, a lightning strikes. And West Maui is just drier than all get out, man. So you, that thing can light up just like that. And then you had the combination of winds, and it lit up the whole of Lahaina and burned it down to the ground. But of course, that's not what happened. It was climate change. It was global warming, okay, according to the New York Times. And again, it's a lie, but it, it, it's, it's, it, it's what Abraham did you have to lie in order to, to do bad behavior. And, of course, going green is the bad behavior is what I'm talking about. Or how about this? We're going to give uh, the Ukraine another $25 billion. What is that? It's just a cover-up for what the government's doing and laundering money from the Biden syndicate and the Clinton syndicate and everyone else that's involved. You, cr you understand Zelensky is the most evilest man on this planet. He's one of them. And his government is one of the evilest governments, Okay. But again, what is this? It's another example of rationalization. We gotta do it for the Ukrainians. The money's not going to the Ukrainians, it's going to the government and going to Zelensky and they're, they're, they're laundering it. Um, we gotta do this for America's interests and, and for the Ukrainian people. It's a lie. Or how about this one? Um, we put this person on the US team, okay? She hates America, but yet we let her play soccer to represent the United States. And she takes a knee during the, the, you know, the, the whole uh, anthem and stuff like that, like Colin Kaepernick. And, of course, there was articles she poisoned the entire team, accused of leading the U.S. women's soccer team into shameful snub of national and the 2023 World Cup. And, and, and what was it? She rationalized that she could take a knee and protest America um, because we're so racist, we're so homophobic, we're so this, so that. And so she rationalized her bad behavior and basically destroying the U.S. soccer team with her mindset. Why? Because she thinks that we've done her wrong. It's a joke. This is what Abraham was doing. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, by the way, now she doesn't have, play soccer anymore. This is her last game. Right, so someone else just hired her. Actually, um, uh, it was actually uh, in an article. She gets a job with the Galactic Empire, training stormtroopers to shoot. Because stormtroopers don't fire very uh, good, and so the Empire would like her to continue them not shooting very well. A la her shooting ability in soccer will help them continue to not shoot accurately. Anyway, um, 
here's a lie. Here's a rationale that AI will be good for our elections. So technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But since the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you, you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what, uh, predict, and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Can you imagine such a world? And it ain't going to be good. I can imagine such a world, and it's not good. You're gonna, you're, the AI can be predictive, and we don't even have to have elections. You see what they're going to do with AI? Again, this is the same mindset. And it came to pass that God caused me to wonder. This is the third excuse. Well, Abraham, what are you talking about? Abraham, you, well, Moses uses the strongest word that he could use to wander, which is ta'ah. Now, here's the thing, how you translate that in Hebrew. It means to wander hopelessly and aimlessly, to be led astray like a gullible sheep. He said to Abimelech, hey, man, that's going to tell you, man, God led me to wander like an aimless sheep, man. So I had to do this, dude. I had to do it because the kind of wandering he had me, I was just like a, a, a vulnerable sheep out there to the wolves. You have to understand this, Abimelech. What is Abraham doing? What did, he, what did he exactly do by saying, yeah, I'm just wandering aimlessly? Did God lead him to wander aimlessly? No. So what is he doing? He's blaming God to Abimelech, right? It's his fault, her fault, their fault, not me. That's what he's doing. Oh, Interesting enough, you see the same thing play out in the church. J.D. Greer complains to his congregation that you're treating the church like a production. At the same time, he's producing a production. <laughs> you hypocrite. And then he says this, that I said to her, this is your kindness. This is what he's telling Sarah. And he's telling Abimelech, this is the deal we had with Sarah. Or Sarah. And he said to her, this is your kindness, or the hesed that you should, sh you should do for me in every place. Wherever we go, you say of me, he is my brother. Now, what is, why does he tell Abimelech that? He says, hey, look, man, don't, don't think that I'm just alone in this and I'm ordering my wife. She's a co-conspirator with me. She's totally on board on this, no problem. We're con a co-conspirator together, so I'm not forcing this on her. What is he doing? He's lessening the guilt by saying there's co-conspirators with him. This is what happens in the deep state. Why does the media go along with everything? Because they're part of the deep state. Well, everyone's doing it. Everyone's part of it. So I'll jump in. And so they can't blame any one of us because we're all doing it. Media, education, politics, whatever. It's the same idea. Now, here's the thing. The excuses. What are these excuses? They're just a justification for habitual patterns of managing fear through sin. That's what they are. Justifications for handling in a sinful way our fear. That's what Abraham's doing. Now, interesting thing, I showed you a picture of a path. You see that path is worn down. In order to have that path worn down, you have to walk it a lot of times. So what ends up happening in Abraham's life, this path keeps getting walked. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again and will not get off the path. Well, how do you get off the path? Well, it has to start with your mind. 
believe it or not, they have found this. This is interesting, and it corresponds with Scripture. What they have found in your brain is that if you start getting into a habitual pattern of how to handle the world, how to cope with things, you actually create pathways in your brain. And the pathway will go from the front to the back. And once it goes to the back, it becomes permanent pattern. Permanent. So what do you do? Well, you have to change the pathway. So imagine your mind like this, that there's two paths. One path is to do it your way like Abraham, and the other path is to you and the Lord on the other way. Okay, how do you create another path? Because here's what they find out. This pathway that you create can never be removed. It's there permanently. So how do, so to combat that, that what they found is you have to create another pathway in your thinking. So you have to create another pathway that goes to the back and becomes a permanent habitual thing. Now this other pathway is always here, but that you have to create a new pathway of how you were gonna react and how you're gonna cope with life. And that pathway has to be the biblical way. Well, here's what Romans 2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Paul is saying, and again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you must create a new way of managing life biblically. You must stop and arrest you continuing to travel on that path. Abraham needs to stop doing this. He needs to find the biblical way. And what ends up happening is if you find the new pathway, it, cre it creates a new habit. And then when the pressure's on you to be afraid, the new pathway will kick into the gear and you will respond correctly in a biblical way of handling the fear. But if you do not create the new pathway, you won't respond that way. So what is the renewing of the mind? Well, the renewing of the mind then would go back to Scripture and, and then find out what it says about those particular areas that would actually create the new pathway. That's how it has to happen. And hence, once you create the new pathway, it's you on the new, you're on the new path and everyone else is going in the other direction. Where are you in the pathways? Because I'm telling you, it's gonna become more important in the days ahead that you do not go to the old pattern, the old path, that you create a new path in order to cope. It will be more important than ever in your life. Find out how you're managing life and let's correct it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn in your scriptures about what, what you're doing not only in Abraham's life, but in our lives, in creating new habits, new pathways, new ways to function in this world that brings a lot of fear to all of us. No doubt about it. Help us to identify those things and correct them in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would work through um, our past, our, our trauma, our pain, anything that's causing a, us to be hindered from you and creating that new pathway. Please bring truth to those things in our lives so we can become free of it. And I pray, Father, if someone's here that doesn't know your son, they would come to faith in him today and accept him as their Lord and Savior 
understanding he died on a cross for their sins and was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who believes. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.